You're listening to the Visionary Life Podcast. I'm your host, Kelsey Rydell. We're hanging out here today because one day while hiking in Peru, after just having been let go from my dream job, it hit me. There's so much more to life and there's no excuse for not embracing uncertainty and trying new things to really explore our full potential in this lifetime. On this weekly podcast, you'll hear from successful entrepreneurs, creative thinkers, and visionaries just like you so that you feel less alone as you pursue everything you want and deserve in this lifetime. This is a space where big sky thinking is welcomed and conversations about daily betterment are essential. So if you're ready to stop living an ordinary life and start living a visionary life, then welcome home. Today, I'm sitting down with Giovanni Angelucci, who is the founder of Queen Street Bakery. Their breads, their buns, pizza dough, and baking flowers can be found across Canada, and they are actually leading the gluten-free, allergen-free, and taste-full bread category. Just one bite of their white bean and millet seed bread or their cinnamon raisin loaf, among many other of their products, will be enough to convert you. And you don't have to be gluten-free to love these products. They are insanely delicious. And more than that, they're packed with good-for-you nutrients. In this conversation, Giovanni and I are rewinding back to just a few years ago when Giovanni had the idea to start the bakery and how that has led them to where they are today, which is finding placement in hundreds and hundreds of stores across Canada. In this episode, we also chat about how they got into Canada's largest grocery grocery store chain, Loblaws. We talk about the number one ingredient that you need if you want to pitch your business to investors. We talk about a skill that he's currently trying to upgrade, the true definition of an entrepreneur, which I thought was a really interesting chat. We talk about why everything is cyclical. So what goes around comes around and trends that once were are actually coming back, especially in the marketing world. And we dissect their marketing plan and talk about what's been working really, really well for Queen Street Bakery. So I think you're going to enjoy this episode. You can find Queen Street Bakery products in the frozen aisle of your grocery grocery store. You can also go to Healthy Planet, our premier sponsor of the podcast. Uh, So if you are going to shop at Healthy Planet, don't forget to check the frozen aisle and grab some Queen Street Bakery products. I really loved this conversation with Giovanni. And even though it took about 10 months from the time I reached out to the moment we got to recording, I'm glad I was patient because I think now was truly the perfect time to sit down and to learn. So let's kick off this next season with Giovanni, the founder of Queen Street Bakery. Welcome back to the Visionary Life Podcast. I'm so excited that we're actually recording season eight right now. And Giovanni, you are the first episode of season eight. So welcome back to the show, to all of our listeners and to you. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you for being here. Wow, thank you for having me. I didn't know I was the first. I'm very honored. Yes. Yeah. It's an exciting time inside of the visionary universe. And I was just saying to you uh, off recording, I actually had reached out many, many months ago. And then all of a sudden I opened up my phone the other day and I saw this email come through that you had booked in. And it was such a pleasant surprise because I'm just getting season eight going. So I was like, well, we know who our first guest is. That's been (laughs) solidified. So really excited to chat. So let's dive in with some quick fire questions here. Um, I'd love to know, first off, is there a social media platform 
that you're enjoying most right now? And can you tell us why you're spending time on this platform? You know what I recently just discovered? And this is not uh, something that is undiscovered, but Pinterest, which I never thought would yeah. be up my alley. Uh, mm-hmm. we're, we're renovating um, our home and it does really well for suggesting things that we like. So all of a sudden I've got these, you know, mood boards and and looks on Pinterest that I otherwise I'd never really used it before, but I found myself going more and more there as I was looking for photos. Mm-hmm. It's a really good platform. I mean, obviously I use the traditional, like I use Instagram a lot, but uh, Pinterest really surprised me. And so for anything design related or for looks um, for the house and rooms and styles, I found that super useful. It's kind of um, and, you know, I, I used to use House. I don't know if you've used House before, but they also have. A, no, I haven't. It's also uh, similar to that. You can create uh, books and lookbooks all around styles and designs and backyards or bathroom and just save pictures to it. And then and it's, you know, it's a huge collection of millions of photos, not unlike Pinterest. Um, and then as you do that, you know, you go through your bathroom lookbook and you have 100 photos. You start to realize, wow, I really like blues or grays or neutral tones. And uh, mm-hmm. so it's super helpful. But Pinterest ended up being sort of the more common version of that. I, I just discovered even though it's been around forever. Yeah, I, I love it too. Like there's certain times in my life, like when I was planning a wedding, when we were moving into a home that I'm like, this platform is actually really, really useful. Yeah. And if you have a business that can be represented through visuals and design, it's the perfect place to be sharing your work and sharing kind of your portfolio. Absolutely. I uh, Mark and I had chatted about how can we start, how, you know, having realized how their, their advertising is actually quite seamless as well. So even if it's not exactly what I'm looking at, if I'm looking at rooms for, let's say, a kitchen, uh, but there's an advertisement for, you know, uh, pants, it doesn't seem that out of place. It kind of fits right into the board. So it's like, actually, I like the way this is being displayed. Mark, maybe we should try to find a way to, to leverage this. And he's uh, he gets ideas thrown at him from me at all hours of the day, every day. So I feel bad for him, but he's looking at ways to incorporate that. And you're right. It's, um, it's, it is really good for that if you have a business that mm-hmm. works on that. Absolutely. So speaking of business, we want to hear all about the birth story of Queen Street Bakery. So I believe that going back many years, this actually came from your mom's gluten intolerance. So can you kind of rewind a little bit and tell the listeners, when did the idea to start a bakery come to life? Definitely. It, uh, a little less than three years ago, maybe two and a half years ago, my mom, uh, who was gluten intolerant, um, in borderline celiac, although I don't think diagnosed uh, celiac, but definitely gluten intolerant. Uh, and she tried everything under the sun. She had been it for years. Uh, I lived at home for quite a while. Um, and uh, and so when somebody in the household is gluten-free, everybody's trying those products. A lot of the house goes gluten-free. And they were just terrible, right? I mean, I'm a good Italian boy. I like my pasta and my pizza and all the, the traditional gluten-full products. And gluten-free always had a stigma uh, for me. Um, so... When we're looking at it, we uh, we ended up finding a baker and started putting some uh, recipes together uh, to see what we could would do. The the person had uh, a product they wanted to try, and we said, okay, well let's uh, let's give this a shot. We we did it. Uh, we jumped into uh, business. We basically started a business and hired him on as a baker, um, and just started toying with all of these different formulations until we landed on one that uh, we realized this is like, I can't believe this is gluten-free, right? And it's not made with the traditional ingredients, right? Most gluten-free is made with the cheapest. I mean, a lot of food is made with the cheapest ingredients and we can dive into that further on the podcast, but food is made for, uh, it's made for supply chain. It's not really made for your health oftentimes, right? What's easy to get the product to market into somebody without spoiling. And that's necessary because our food comes from so many different places, but the healthiest 
product that's out there and it's not always the tastiest. So we found a way to do it with, uh, with bean flours uh, and a mix of, of other flours. And it was, it was incredible. It toasted great. It tasted great. And the nutritional profile, um, you know, we use a little bit of honey, but otherwise no sweetener, uh, good fiber, good protein content and, and the same or less calories than a traditional slice of bread. So it's one of those things that uh, we had a product like that. If you could eat bread that tastes and feels like bread, but it's healthier for you, why wouldn't you do it? And that's sort of, once we had that value proposition, we decided to really make a, a go of this business and, uh, and give it a shot. And, uh, that was about two and a half years ago. It, is a lot harder than you would think, but I'm very, very happy we did it. I'm in business with family and friends. Mark is a, a, a friend uh, of another, or he's married to, a, he's a friend now and married to a longtime friend, Paige, um, from, uh, from university days, Tony, who, uh, who heads it up there as the president as well. I've known for, for a decade. So, you know, if nothing else, it gives you a good chance to work with your friends. And thankfully it's, uh, it's, it's been successful um, so far, but it's, you know, still very early days, these businesses, mm-hmm. you know, everyone, again, we can jump further into it, but it always looks like overnight success or from the outside, it always looks really good. And on the inside, you are, you are, you know, moving your feet at a thousand miles a minute, trying to deal with a hundred fires that come up at any given time and really take three steps forward and two steps back. Cause that's inevitable. You're going to run into problems every day. Hey, visionary, are you ready to launch your business? If you're looking for a way to get started, we can help. The Visionary Method is a weekly coaching program that will guide you through the process of launching your business and generating revenue in as little as 12 weeks. We have helped over 100 entrepreneurs build their businesses from scratch and find community with people just like them. You don't have to do this alone. It doesn't matter if you're an introvert or extrovert, young or old, experienced or brand new. Our method works for everyone who wants it badly enough. This isn't about getting rich quick. It's about creating something meaningful that changes lives and makes the world a better place. Join us today by heading to kelseyridle.com for details or click the link in the show notes and learn more about the visionary method. So when you got the idea to start baking gluten-free bread products, did you quit your other job right away or what were you up to at the time? Like, did you go all in or were you doing this kind of balance or dance between working full-time and trying to build this on the side? What was that chapter of your life like? I actually haven't quit my original job yet. <laughs> um, wow. not, not because it's not successful. I, I, have, I work in a family business. Uh, so it's very entrepreneurial by background and the, the, the business is a going concern in and of itself. We would just we tend to invest in other things. Like, you know, when you think about being entrepreneurial, there's starting businesses, but there's being entrepreneurial within your own organization as well. Um, I remember hearing a, a speech once um, where the, the person said, you know, I joined my family business and that still meant I was an entrepreneur. And, you, you know, you don't have to start a business to be an entrepreneur, although that's tr- traditionally the way to do it. But I was able to join my family business and was giving them, um, you know, I have to prove myself a lot of free reign to say, well, why don't we try this or do this or expand here? And once it, it was able to snowball from expanding and being an entrepreneurial within the traditional uh, sector of that business into, well, what if we look at some other businesses? And so this was really an investment. We brought on the baker to be sort of the full-time operator for what would have been a very, very small baking business at the time. Um, and the reason that Tony and all them came about was uh, we had a falling out with that baker. Um, it turns out there was some not so good activities going on uh, with him. And when we discovered them, we basically had to part ways. And now I was 
I was already spending a lot of time running both of those. And so you're kind of just working two jobs, which is fine because I really enjoy business. Uh, but you need eyes and ears at a business. You can't run it from afar. And so that's when Tony jumped on board with us and quit his uh, lucrative job in banking to become a baker himself. Uh, and I'm very thankful for that because it's been uh, it's been great since then. But yeah, you're kind of just working on both companies at the same time. Um, and that can be a lot of hours and a lot of days. I have a very supportive uh, wife and a very supportive uh, family. So able to do it, but you have to like it. You can't not like business and try to work two jobs, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And you know what? I can really appreciate um, your definition or the one that you've kind of crafted around what it means to be an entrepreneur, because I think by default, some people think like, oh, well, you have to almost have invented something brand new. Right. But the truth is like not many people are inventors, but there are a lot of entrepreneurs who are making existing things better. Absolutely. Right. And that doesn't mean you start a company or that doesn't mean you don't still work for another corporation or a job. Like I think we need to um, just like broaden that definition and people should feel confident using that term, even if they aren't the founder or like the creator, but if they're making it a better product or service, they're entrepreneurial, right? Absolutely. You have the bone in your body. And you know what? Corporations would do well to, uh, to foster that sort of entrepreneurial spirit within their, their ranks because, you know, I don't know, I think some, some do, but I think most don't because there's so much red tape and so many things that come with it. But if you can let people who have that entrepreneurial mindset, think of new ways to do things within your organization, you will win out over time because you're going to be testing. And if you can test it, uh, frugally and give things a good shot and then cut bait when it's not working, you're going to continue to get the best ideas. And people who do have an entrepreneurial bone, but maybe don't have the financing or the know-how or don't want to deal with the infrastructure that comes with having to start a business, right? Payables, receivables, working cap, all those kinds of things can just do it within their business. And it's kind of a win-win for all of them. So you certainly can invent something, um, but you can also do what you know what's called the adjacent possible. So it's similar, but it's, it's new. It's not as big of a, a leap. Right. So invent bread was invented. Inventing gluten free bread was an adjacent possible. Inventing a healthier gluten free bread was adjacent possible to that as well. Um, so, you know, those kind of things are the less step function and more um, more just continuation along a, a path or, or trajectory towards better. Is that a term that you like created or is this a concept <laughs> that's already out there? No, I, adjacent possible. I would love to take credit for adjacent possible. I. I read a lot, I think, because uh, it depends on who you compare it to, but I, I picked it up in a book somewhere. I can't remember which one, okay. but it discussed um, basically companies working on the adjacent possible and the likelihood of success. I'll try to find the name. I'm going to go back. I annotate a lot of the books I read. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm going to Google it too yeah, after look, this you know what, interview because yeah, I'm say. curious to read that book as well. It's an interesting concept yeah. that I've never heard of. It was. It was just talking about how obviously you can invent something new from scratch, but that's going to be a huge leap and a much higher... Um, chance success. And oftentimes the world isn't ready for it. Right. Yep. So there are things that come about. And I think about the smart glasses as an example, right? Google's tried it. Snapchat's tried it. I think Facebook now is trying it. Um, these are things that probably will happen. It's just a natural progression, but it's, it's not within the adjacent possible. So it's just too far of a leap for right now, for where we're at. There's going to be a couple of steps in between there to the point where people feel comfortable wearing glasses that you know, it's like you're wearing an Iron Man helmet, but in your in your glasses. Um, mm -hmm. So, and that's probably why sometimes things don't succeed. They're just too far of a jump. I think electric cars are a great example of that. We tried them many, many years ago. Uh, it was invented far before, but it's just people were not ready for that yet. Um, the the market wasn't there. The cost wasn't right quite there. Uh, but eventually, these these good ideas do come to fruition. Mm -hmm. 
So let's go a little bit back towards when you started Queen Street Bakery. I'm sure all of the listeners are thinking, okay, great. So you started baking gluten-free bread. They, a lot of people listening, they're also creating food products out of their home. But how did you go from just baking and testing out new concepts and product development to actually getting your first sale? What did that look like? Yeah, I should provide a little bit more detail. The baker that we found actually had a product on shelves. when we first found it and um so when we could not find that product anymore we went to the baker and said look obviously you know how to bake but you're not a business person well let us be the business people come in and work as a baker and if you know we'll just we'll share uh you'll have a full-time job and, and you'll be able to you know use your creative side to just create products so that's what we did um but you know that one product, we wanted to make it even better, make it even cleaner. So we ended up adapting um, that product into something that was even better, removing unnecessary ingredients. So we kind of relaunched with a whole product, whole new product line. These, these original six skews, the original six uh, bean skews, as we call them. And once we knew we had that, for us, uh, because we obviously uh, this was a side hustle, but also a, a family investment. You know, we, no interest in getting into a business that just becomes that just takes up a lifestyle time because I'm not a full-time baker. So we were either going to get into something where we put a full effort behind it and try to grow it into something big or let's not do it at all. So our thought was if we're going to do this, you know, we're not going to have a hobby shop where we bake, although there's nothing wrong with that. Some people who are creators and lifetime bakers or or cooks, that's that's a great uh, avenue to go down, but for us it was supposed to be a business and really bring a better better product to the market, right? I've eaten a ton of these products, these gluten-free products, they were not very good. That was 5 years ago. Uh, there's better ones now. Uh, I still think Queen Street Bakery is, is about the best product that you can get, bar, like gluten-free or not, from a uh, health perspective on your your product, your bread choices, it's the best you can get. But the market has definitely caught up uh, in creating better products. Um, so yeah, we decided if we're going to do this, we're going to do this as a full business and let's really put some weight behind it. So we went out and we pitched the local Loblaws and they bought it. We pitched Organic Garage. Uh, um, sweet potato, big carrot, these sort of independents that really know the value of these kind of products. And they all took it on board, which we were very thankful of. And once we were able to prove that case with those customers and say, hey, look, we're getting repeat customers. This is a good product. We then uh, brought on a broker and we brought on a distributor who we had to sell on as well to say, look, this is a good product. You want to carry us and to the distributor, hey, this is going to be a product that sells. Do you want to bring us on? And they bought the vision right from the beginning. They realize, yes, this is very different. They taste the bread. Nobody, you know, it's everybody who tries it says the same thing. I can't believe this is gluten-free bread. What do you mean this is gluten-free and allergen-free? There's no nuts or anything. How do you get such a good nutritional profile? Just a lot of iteration. Um, once we had them on board, we were actually able to distribute across the country. And uh, so um, just to give you a little tidbit about where it went from there, we brought those on board. We pitched a lot of Sobeys National uh, and a few other sort of larger accounts. They all said, yep, great. We love it. You're coming on board. You're in the planogram. We made the product. We got it to the distributor warehouses. They got it to store shelves in February of 2020. Pandemic locks down the world in March of 2020. So, you know, these businesses, you go through so many up and downs. I can't tell you how many days I looked at Tony and said, you know, should we just call it? You know, we're spending a lot of money to try to get this thing going. And every day we'd get a, a message from a customer that says, you, I, this sounds cheesy, but you, you changed my husband's life. He thought he couldn't eat bread after he was diagnosed celiac. We found it. Thank you so much. Or I thought we could never have pizza again. Your pizza dough is fantastic. Thank you so much. You know, And so you're, you're, you're sitting there going, yeah, we could shut it down. But we have a good product. If we can tell that story mm-hmm. to 35 million Canadians 
enough people will have heard it that that they'll get a better product for themselves and ultimately it's a product that just should exist and the reason that we invest in businesses at least i do in the first place is is this a product that should exist does it make the world or does it make people better um and if you kind of in, invest with that mindset i think you'll do well or start a business with that mindset eventually you'll do well what i didn't realize was how hard it is to tell that story to 35 million Canadians or 37 million Canadians. So that's what we uh, we're in the process of doing now. But anyway, we got into the shelves March 2020. And it's basically been pandemic since then. Um, so having to work out ways to get people to try bread without actually being able to do a demo, right? How do you get somebody to try your bread without doing a demo? I can't, a whole loaf is expensive. And I don't have a small product that I can ship easily. So all these different tactics. So we can dive more into that after. But that's been, uh, yeah. you know, you go on this roller awesome. coaster, you get all the wins, and then pandemic hits, and then it subsides and then wave three hits. And <laughs> yeah. And I think navigating that is a whole podcast on its own, but you did say a few things in there that I want to double tap on. So first I think like what you've really communicated, that's a takeaway lesson for the listeners is that you have to have a really amazing product, a remarkable product that you're proud of, passionate about in order to be able to persist in times of doubt and in times of fear. And when you don't know what's going on and it sounds like you knew you had a great product. So like that strong why. I was there. So I love hearing that and having a reminder to anyone listening, like make sure your product is dialed in before you start going right. to try and sell it into stores and, you know, get customer customers to buy it. So I think that's awesome. I also want to um, just call out, like you said, you got a meeting with Loblaws and Organic Garage. Like how do you approach getting a meeting with your local Loblaws? Could you share some behind the scenes for the listener who also is wondering like how that conversation begins with Canada's largest gross grocery store? <laughs> yeah. And one of the world's largest grocery stores at that too. It's, uh, right. you know, I think, um, I think I know the value of walking in and doing something face to face. Now this is pre COVID and will be post COVID eventually, but the value of being able to just go in and pound the pavement, my, you know, my background in our, business prior was sales. I really like dealing with people, but you can't discount just, it seems like something you can't do, right? It's something you can't just do that, but you just pick up the phone, you call, you say, Hey, who's in charge of buying this product? I'd like to talk to them. And you set up a meeting or you walk in and you say, let me talk to the bakery manager or, or the, the snacks manager or the produce manager, whatever the product is. You can't discount the value of just picking up the phone and calling or going in and having that meeting because people, and I've learned this definitely along this way, people are very willing to help. People love entrepreneurship. People love helping people who are willing to take a chance and go out and, and try a business. So I can't tell you how many people have helped us along the way with marketing ideas or legal or whatever, just to, mm -hmm. just to be a part of it and help and, and lend. And I think what goes around comes around and what yeah. you put out there will come back to you. But yeah, somebody wants to do it. If you have a product that you think is a great fit for, maybe it's not baking, maybe it's a, a tech product or, or an app, phone up a store, phone up somebody that would sell it. Um, and just say, hey, I've got this. Any interest in in uh, in selling it? And always, mm -hmm. I always put myself in their shoes. What's the value for them? Are they making more margin than another product? Will it displace a product that's not being sold anymore? Um, do they get a, a bigger cut um, on in, in their? Do they get a better markup? All those kinds of things kind of factor in. So think about it from their shoes. Why is it a good deal for them? Why would you do it if you were them? Um, and with food, that's not maybe not a little bit easier, but you always have the inherent. Well, this is a really good tasting product, and um, so that gives it a good chance, but there's also lots of great products that never make it for one reason or another. And there's lots of not so great products that are, that are huge. Um, and I don't want to 
call those out on the air, but there's some very big products that I, I'm sure we all look at and say, how is this still out there? Like, I don't like this. It's yeah. not nearly as good as the other ones on the shelf. <laughs> Tell us, which ones do you hate? <laughs> I, I don't know. I mean, I don't, I don't, I'm kidding. Yeah. You know, I, I, the, the most uh, perfect example for me um, and teach his own is like Dasani water. I don't, I don't really like Dasani, but it's everywhere. And there are better yeah. water sold by the same company, better products. But yeah. for some reason, that one is just everywhere. I don't, it must cost nothing to make. There must be such huge margins that it's worth, worth pushing out there because uh, I don't know anybody who says that is my favorite water out there. <laughs> yeah, you're right. I don't like the taste of it either, but it's everywhere. And everyone hates the taste of it, I think. <laughs> I mean, you, you will go for any other product on the shelf versus that for, for most yep. people. Um, so yeah, and you know, you talk about having an amazing product. It has to be amazing. It has to be different enough. And if it's different enough or the service is good enough, it makes somebody's life easier. I think it will, it will win out, right? And we happen to be lucky. There's a confluence of factors happening for Queen Street Bakery in that in general, there is um, a, sort of an anti-gluten uh, movement because they're, and, and for all reasons we can dive into on this podcast or another, gluten is quite inflammatory and hurting a lot of people, even though it didn't used to. And that's because it's, it's made differently and there's a, ton of different things that go into the growing of it. Um, people are generally eating healthier. People are realizing that health and wellness, uh, or sorry, food and wellness is part of overall health. And so, um, you know, our bread really fits those categories, right? It's made of things you need to eat anyway. It is healthier. There is less sugar, which is also a huge piece, right? No sugar, no gluten is a big, big part of the, I wouldn't even say fat. I think these are more lifestyle changes. And so it's really helpful um, that our product fits in with one of those. When you're thinking about amazing product, it also has to fit in with that. You can have a really, really good juice, but if nobody's eating a, or drinking a juice with 40 grams of sugar, yeah. your, your market may be limited. So there's also thinking about it within that context. Mm -hmm. So once you pitched the grocery stores and you started selling your products into these retail spaces, I'm assuming that you felt this kind of need to do a lot of marketing to help the products sell off of the shelf. And I know you said that at the time it was pandemic, so you couldn't necessarily go into the store to do demos. Right. So I'm curious, what were some of those marketing or promotional efforts that you were able to activate that worked really, really well for you in the earlier days? Great question. Right before, prior to pandemic, we were able to get some demos in and awesome. those were great for us because once you have somebody that can take two minutes and hear the story or just hear the pitch on the product, um, they would try it and they were pretty much sold. And a lot of those have become uh, lifetime customers of ours, which is, is fantastic. Once the pandemic hits, you're right, you can't do that. And so we've tried uh, almost everything and we've had to get creative, but you know everything from um, ramping up our online sales. So, so, you know, taking, maybe doing free shipping so people could just get an order and try the product uh, in the first place to um, we did couponing. Uh, we've done a lot of different uh, podcasts. We did some traditional, uh, obviously Facebook, Instagram, and Google marketing for searches around that kind of stuff. Um, we even did the, the less traditional and very successful. We did a couple pop-ups. So our brand, mm. this is lesser known, I think for most people, but part of the, I, I really hate food waste myself. And I, I'm like that, that guy who eats the stuff in the fridge, even those two days past. You just, you, I do that too. You just feel so bad throwing it out. And I hate. Yeah, I won't. It I no won't way. do it either. And so I've had some very, very weird meal mixes that my wife looks at me like mm -hmm. kind of cross-eyed. Yeah. Right. Uh, but I'm <laughs> like, oh my God, I hate to throw it out. It's still good. You know, expiry dates and these best before dates, they make people throw a lot more food than we need to, which I think mm -hmm. a lot of businesses are tackling now, which is fantastic. Sort of um, taking advantage of the product. I mean, people don't, I grew up with it too. Like you look at products, it says 
best before. So you throw it out the day after. If yeah. it still smells good or isn't moldy, it may still be good. Um, yeah. So it's not worth wasting. But anyway, I hate, I hate throwing stuff yeah, out. Expiry date is different than, than a best, best before. before date. And I don't think many people know that. No. And like that probably produces more food waste than we can even imagine. Huge amount. Just because people, they live by that date. And it's like, it's just best before. You can still have it and you're not going to get sick. So <laughs> Absolutely. And and most of the time, it's probably not going to make you that sick. I mean, what's the worst case? A little stomach gurgling? Like it's not. Yeah, exactly. But not everybody wants to live by that. And I, you know, <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. so fine. But yes, best before is definitely you don't have to live by the best before date. And I think in Canada, I'm pretty sure you have to have a best before date, even if it doesn't go bad. So if you look at your honey, yeah. honey will last 20 years, but it has to have a best before date. Your water has a best before date. So, um, again, just, you know, it, I know it keeps us all safe and these regulations are necessary. And so I'm happy that for that, but there's also, you can look at it with a little bit more of a, of a critical eye. Mm-hmm. Uh, but anyway, so we are built into our brand has always been trying to reduce food waste. We've always donated a loaf for every 10 that we sell. Our That's actual nice. run rate is more like one for every five that we sell. Because they're, you know, just because somebody is food insecure doesn't mean they don't have allergies or doesn't mean their kids don't have allergies. And those who are food insecure, it's not just the traditional person you think of who's sleeping on the streets. It's also families who are on hard luck and the the parents have to go to a food bank to get food. And so we distribute these allergen free breads are are QSB provided to everyday families that you may not even know are going through food problems. So we're very happy to do that. We've been you know, fairly active socially uh, on social media. So one of the things that we did was a pop-up last Christmas and we gave away fr- free grilled cheese. And for every grilled cheese that we gave away, we donated a loaf of bread to the Daily Bread Food Bank right around Christmas time. Wow. Great way to get a thousand people to try your bread, right? Most people came up, had no idea it was gluten-free bread. We're very surprised and they tried it. And the Loblaws down the street, I think uh, had a nice bump in sales for that and has continued to, to benefit from that. We did that, wow. we did that right on Queen Street. We did another one in June where we sold burgers and it was uh it was basically buy one give one so if you bought a burger from us it was like a two dollar burger to 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 have people try out our burger buns we um we have an event coming up where we're going to serve food buns at a food bank as well so or serve burgers uh, at a food bank so we're uh you know that's a little bit challenging to organize through covid we're going to get that lined up and um and then give away i think we we sold 1200 burgers or something like that so we're going to give away another 1200 burgers so things like that you know, maybe a slightly more expensive way to get people to try it, but you also interact with every customer who's come by. <clears throat> so mm-hmm. that's mm-hmm. been a, that's been a lot of fun. So yeah, tried a little bit of everything. Um, there are a lot of very creative ways to do things. You know, go, people go to um, parks, people uh, go dance in stores. People are very yep. active on social media. It just depends on what your persona and your, your brand personality is. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's got to fit within that. It's hard to be something that you're not. But for us, it's all about just driving that trial, driving the awareness that you're doing good for yourself and you're doing good for others when you when you eat Queen Street Bakery bread. Mm-hmm. I love that. Yeah. So many great marketing tips that you just dropped. I'm like writing all these things down. Yeah. And I think like the biggest one that stands out to me, especially with a product like yours is trial. Like people just need one taste of it to potentially become a lifetime customer. So it's really always thinking like, how can we get people to sample, to experience the difference of yeah. our products? And obviously that presented a bit of a challenge, but it sounds like you were able to kind of overcome it. And I love the idea of these pop-up shops too. That's something that I think is underutilized when you're able to create that branded experience and kind of bring people in for more than just a sample, but they get to meet your team. They get to see all the visuals. And yeah, um, yeah I think that that's more powerful than really any other promotional effort because we actually get to feel something from your brand and not 100%. just be like met with like a, 
I don't know, a message through a TV ad, you know? Absolutely. You have a captive customer at, at the point of sale yeah. and, you know, they're usually waiting around a couple minutes for their thing. And so you just, you're chatting with them and Hey, here's a bit about us. And why did you come by the pop-up? And for mm -hmm. COVID, it gave a lot of people a reason to safely get out because it was a, it was a pop-up through like a, a window. So everyone was mm -hmm. able, no one had to go inside or do anything like that. Um, and a great way for us to just sort of tell that story as we were giving out the, the grilled cheese or the burgers um, and uh, people were posting about it. It was, it was a lot of fun. And you know what? I, I really enjoy interacting with people. So working the weekend there, so it's a lot of fun. If you've never worked in a kitchen or mm -hmm. ever had the witch thing, bartending, anything of that sort, a sort of customer service in the food service role, I had a lot of fun with it. Um, and we, you know, granted, I only have to do it for the weekend. I know it's very tiring and difficult, but we had very happy customers. It was a charitable event. So it went very well. It was, it was a lot of fun. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So when you think forward to the next two, three, five years, like what is the vision of Queen Street Bakery? What are you guys trying to accomplish? Is it to get in more stores? Is it to make the world gluten-free? Like what is that vision that you have in mind right now? I think in general, it's not specific to gluten-free, although that yeah, it is a big part of our bread, but our bread is also soy-free. It's nut-free. Uh, it's sesame-free. It's dairy-free. We, wow. we don't add sugar, any sort of artificial sugars. We, some breads have a little bit of honey, but even our, our, one of our top sellers, our top seller, the Chia Classic line is vegan, has no honey, no egg. Wow. Um, so it's, it's allergen free, but ultimately our whole goal is we've made a product and we've created a brand around giving your body more of, of what it wants in the foods that you love, mm. uh, whether or not that's our official tagline, but basically that's it, right? If you have to eat your beans anyway, and we know we have to eat our beans and legumes and you have to eat your, your, your nuts and your seeds anyway. Um, if you can eat a slice of toast that gives you 40 grams of your daily, 40% of your daily fiber or 50% of your daily fiber for two slices, or if you can eat a bread that doesn't have sugar added, or you're eating a bread that gives you a serving of, of beans or seeds, why wouldn't you do it? If it tastes and feels exactly like regular bread, I mean, if there's no other reason to not do it, why wouldn't you? Mm -hmm. Um, and so we always want to continue to do that. We're going to continue to own a, try to own a bigger share of the stomach, bigger share of breakfast, so to speak, where like, <laughs> you know, we can get into all different other kinds of, of adjacent products, uh, that fit within that, that realm. And really for me, the test is what I feed this to my, my, my mom who started this all, what I feed this to my wife, feed this to my kid, to my newborn yeah. son, what I feed this to them and feel good about giving them that, that product, because we now have all the knowledge at our fingertips about what is better for you. I'm sure in 20 years, we're going to learn something wasn't good for us that we're eating, but we know more than we knew last year. We knew last year more than we knew the year before that. So there's no excuse to try to eat better. And the way you eat really makes you better. It makes you feel better. It makes you live longer. And from a mental acuity standpoint, it makes you think better. You're smarter, literally, if you eat well. Right. It's yeah. been shown that heavy sugars and heavy fats are actually extremely detrimental to the way our brain functions. Um, so, you know, for us, it's just getting that message out, getting more people to basically swap one thing that they're used to loving for another thing that they love, but it'll just make them better for it. And if you can do that, it'll be better for us as society. Um, mm -hmm. You know, that's sort of the vision and the, and the calling. And it's a business. If that if we do well with that, the business will do well and we can continue to grow it um, and add more products to the mix. Mm. I love it. You are preaching to the choir. <laughs> I am like so keen on this mission of like having more nutrient dense foods. And, um, you know, a lot of our listeners, I'm a teacher at the Canadian school of natural nutrition. So a lot oh, wow. of our listeners are nutritionists or, you know, about to graduate. And right. I feel like your product is something they need to be recommending to clients. So I'm just going to plant that there love and it. they can do as they wish with it because it is such a awesome opportunity for people to have the foods they love, but to swap out obviously a better for you 
option, which is exactly right. what you've provided. Makes it cool. Makes it very easy uh, for them. If somebody comes in and says, "I love you know you got to you got to cut down your bread. It's it's high in uh, you know carbs and it's high in sugar. But I love my bread. I I, I use sandwiches. Yeah. I make out well, try this bread. It's got no sugar. It's got three grams of protein, four grams of fiber. It's the, the mm-hmm. nutritional table is great. It makes it very easy for them. Right. Yeah. Um, but I, I do have sort of a, a soft passion on this food thing. My, my grandparents immigrated. I've seen them grow food in their yard their entire life. And so I know where food comes from and I have had that luxury. Not everybody has. And so, you know, this as well as anybody, most of your listeners, then if, um, nutritional basis, like so many products travel so far to get to us. So mm-hmm. many products are picked not ripe, right? Tomatoes are picked green and ripened with ethylene gas yeah. along the way. And so, um, you know, a, a real homegrown carrot or tomato doesn't look perfectly round and it's, it doesn't have, you know, no edges around it. And there is obviously a consequence to eating foods that are modified to look a certain way. Yeah. Right. Constantly. There, there's gotta be a long-term effect on our bodies. I understand the, the modifications have also helped us feed an ever-growing population across the world. Um, but where you have an ability to eat as local as possible, eat more natural foods, not waste foods that maybe don't look great, but are completely fine for you. Going back to our early part of the conversation, that's where it becomes uh, quite valuable. So, um, mm-hmm. yeah, it's uh, nutrition is is extremely important, and I think people will stave off a lot of health effects. Well, you know yeah. this. You, you guys, you and your listeners are very well versed <laughs> in all of this. Then, <laughs> absolutely agree. But I do feel like still the majority of people they do need to be educated as to why they would choose your products over wonder bread or you know something more generic do you find that like education needs to be a key pillar of what you guys do definitely and if you if you look at our social media we do quite a bit of that we don't want to bombard people with just learn about this or learn about that but it is important for us to put it out there and i think um what we know is healthy most maybe the average for certain products you wouldn't realize how much of xyz um you know sugar type of sugar it's called because there's many different names for it right from corn syrups to traditional sugars to whatever uh you wouldn't realize how many of your traditionally healthy products have it in right how many sugars are in a yogurt how many sugars are in a slice of bread how many sugars are in your um milk right it's crazy Mm -hmm. to think about that and it's all uh completely artificial and very very difficult um for your body to handle long term and it's why there's 400 million people classified as obese across the planet Mm -hmm. Uh, it's why there's an epidemic of non-fatty liver disease or non-alcoholic fatty liver disease, right? So our livers, because our livers are what f- filters that out after. Yeah. You know, I didn't until I was, well, I don't know what age, but I mean, I always ate healthy at home, but you, you think about orange juice and you're like, oh, well, it's 100% oranges. That's super healthy, right? If I ate an orange, I'd be healthy. So if I drink the juice and you don't realize it's 39 grams of sugar in a glass and people who are trying to lose weight or be healthier are having that as part of a diet that maybe they shouldn't. So just general education is extremely important. I think it will pay dividends for whoever funds that education, whether it's government, whether it's better understanding of nutrition in our school system earlier on, uh, over time, we're going to have a healthier populace. I think it's worthwhile, more from a public policy perspective, but it's it's good for all of us. We're doing our, our very, very small part of that healthy wellness lifestyle, health and wellness lifestyle. A quick word from our premier sponsor of the Visionary Life podcast, and that is Healthy Planet. 
If you are a health nut like me, you're going to love that you can save money on the brands you already purchase by ordering online from Healthy Planet. They love our visionary community and want to support all of us in living our best lives. So you can shop at Healthy Planet entirely online and products will be dropped at your doorstep within just a few days. It's so easy, so convenient, and that gives you no excuse to say it's really hard to eat healthy because it's not. So treat your body, your mind, and your business with the fuel it deserves from Healthy Planet. You can shop by department, dietary need, or even just check out the sale rack. It's such an efficient way to ensure you're stocked up on all your favorite health goods all of the time. Use code VISIONARY10 at checkout to save on your Healthy Planet order. That's VISIONARY10 at checkout. I know that you had mentioned something in the form that you filled out before we chatted on this podcast, and you had said you were observing a trend of old business models being completely upended, like bread and milk that used to be delivered to our doorstep long before Instacart or Amazon, and now you're saying we're returning to this old model. So I was really fascinated with what you wrote there, and I'm just curious, can you crack that open for myself and the listeners and just explain what you mean by these old business models being upended? Yeah, I... I uh... I just, you know, just a general observation on things. I, my grandmother's house and maybe a lot of uh, our grandparents' houses used to have a little cubby door on the side of it. And I, yep. I remember asking when I was young what that was for. And they said that was for when the milk and bread was delivered. And it was, I just kind of got to thinking, you know, we, most people, depending on your age, think about certain businesses as a brand new business um, innovation or a way of doing things. It may be, but oftentimes it may have existed prior. So mm-hmm. we used to, get our bread and our milk delivered and people will go to many different little shops to get their their meats and their cheeses and it was inefficient then we moved towards very very large supermarkets and everyone one-stop shop for buying it all and then over the last few years we've gone back to home delivery for a lot of products and people seem to be going more to their local butcher shop and their local bakery to get those things that we want so it's almost like these things are cyclical and not unlike fashion you know which is very traditionally cyclical uh, you know, what goes around, it goes out of fashion, comes back in. So do business trends. I mean, I, I even think about, um, well, we, we have all of, we've, everyone was cable cutting, right? Everybody is cable cutting. It's, it's well known that people are getting rid of their cable all because we're going to these subscriptions that we now pay for. Okay. We're doing that every single day. But at some point, I don't know about you. I think I've got like six different subscriptions that I'm paying for. It's too much. Yeah. I can, I can already envision a world where at some point, and if it's not there already, somebody's going to say, hey, for this one bundle, you'll get subscription to all of these. Crave, Hulu, YouTube, this, that, and the other. Is that really different than basically a Rogers box without commercials? I mean, it's not unlike them who have already, you know, or Bell who had already aggregated all that, just doing it in a yeah. slightly different way. So you have these things that kind of start one way, finish, come back to it die off, come back again. Uh, and I'm sure there's many more examples. Your listeners can probably even think of more examples uh, of businesses that were once in fashion that are gone, that it will come back. Right. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, I, I see that in marketing. Like do a, I do a lot of marketing consulting for different brands. And what I've really noticed is that for a while, we really forgot about word of mouth and referral and pre-internet, pre-social media. That was the only way that we really found out about products is when a friend would tell you about it or, you know, when somebody would say, oh yeah, I use the guy down the street to fix my sink. And then social media came in and it was like, 
everyone throw all your eggs in Instagram and like don't even worry about um, having any sort of word of mouth or referral strategy. And it's like, but wait, that still works. You still have to focus on it. And it's like, now we're seeing again, like Facebook ads aren't working. They aren't converting as well as they used to. So now we're coming back to this relationship building approach. So I totally agree with you. I think like everything is cyclical and we can see that when things kind of go out of fashion, eventually they will come back in. They will. And I don't know if that's just because if everybody moves away from one thing, then the new option becomes much more difficult to find your place right. in. And so people start going back to the old, right? If everybody's advertising on Facebook or Instagram, you're one of many more ads. And so the conversion just doesn't quite work. But we definitely, um, you know, we it takes a lot of work to do this, but we worked with a lot of influencers through COVID. And we don't, we don't have a big budget. We're a small bakery. Um, but we worked with a lot of them to say, hey, here's our product. If you like it, and this is not that new, but we went to people who, it doesn't have to be a hundred thousand person follower account. You know, people who have 2000 followers are also very well trusted, often more so. And they're real followers. If you like it, tell some people about it. Um, and so we have a, a following often of people who are already eating our product. And we would, you know, we'd work with them just to tell your following base, because in the absence of me in the store telling somebody, Hey, try this bread, somebody who is trusted by others is my next best approach to do that. So very much to your point about uh, word yeah. of mouth, that's the, that's the, the closest I could de- get to doing an in-store demo was somebody else demoing it live and saying, wow, yes. this is, this is really good. Right. Um, and I think uh, we actually just recently had one of those with Cheryl Hickey, who's, uh, yeah. and she got the bread from Arlene Dickinson and Arlene sent it to her and she goes, guys, I almost forgot to post, but I tried this Queen Street Bakery. It is really good. You know, I can't measure how many people are going to, you know, what kind of value we get from that, but it was great. Right. And that's, that's mm-hmm. great. That's somebody that if you trust what Cheryl says, or you like, I mean, heck half of our, you know, baby products have been bought by just an Instagram word of mouth referral from people who we trust posting about it. And, and also yeah. for obviously from friends and stuff like that. But if a friend uh, says, um, you know, try this product for your baby, of course, I'm going to give it a really, really serious look. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. um, yep. yeah. Referral and word of mouth are not dead. That's what we've confirmed. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Exactly. Well, let's get into some kind of closing rapid fire questions that I'm sure the listeners are still curious about. So first off, tell us, how did you come up with the name Queen Street Bakery? Is it because you started on Queen Street? Queen, <laughs> we uh, are not on Queen Street, but we figured there's Queen Street is such a common name that there's kind of a Queen Street everywhere, right? It's, it feels very home. me. feels very accessible. Every town or city generally has a Queen Street. So yeah. it just felt like something that, uh, was broad enough that we could go into anything within the bakery category, but also felt very yeah. close to home. Yeah, very relatable to anyone looking at the the brand. Very name. relatable. That's now, cool. for those listeners, sorry, just as an aside, for the listeners who are starting stuff, what it doesn't do right in the name is tell you that we're gluten free, or it doesn't tell oh. you. So there's a there's mm, a bit of a yeah there's a bit of a you know there's other brands that do that very well. Chickpea pasta is a great example. You know it's it's chickpea, right? They tell you right yes. in it. Or, or, mm. or, you know, um, uh, there's other products with like the fad, maybe keto in the name, things like that. So you have to find your balance. But once you've done that, mm-hmm. if you are keto, you know, keto bars, you can only make keto bars after that. You can't really brought, you know, brand into that. So you have to think about your name. Um, but ultimately the messaging around it is, is what really drives it. Yeah, absolutely. Very good tip. Thanks for sharing that. Um, is there a skill set? that you are trying to upgrade currently? Like anything that you're diving into to become a better entrepreneur, a better, um, you know, in your personal life? Yeah, uh, two of the ones I'm actively, I'm always trying to get better at. I'm always trying to be uh, more patient. So, and and mm-hmm. with that comes better training of, of staff, better working with staff, um, having the patience to teach 
Whereas often, if you think you're the right answer, you would just want to delegate. And that's extremely necessary in a small business and with minimal time. But oftentimes you also should teach and you'll get better staff out of it over the long run and better performance. So, yeah. and it obviously makes you better at home and with friends and with family. So I'm actively trying to be better at patients. Um, and then the second one and more business related is telling a story. So how do you succinctly tell a story? How do you tell a story that is captivating, um, that really sells your product, that has people bought in? You know, our story is really our startup story. We started this for our mom. I make this product for my family and I would never deviate from a product that is good and healthy for you. And how do you tell that? And how do you get that bought in, right? If you can't tell a story, Amazon doesn't become Amazon, right? Because it had to tell a story of where it was going and what it was for to lose money for so many years before it made money. Without yeah. a good story, Tesla is not what Tesla becomes because Elon was able to get people to buy into that story for, for many, many years until the company is profitable and now it works. So lots of good businesses that don't have a visionary founder or don't have a really good story around it or just can't get people bought in, never make it, not because they weren't good or weren't right, but somebody else was able to tell a better story and have, have that continue long enough to get them to where they go because very few businesses are profitable from the get-go. Right. And you have to be prepared that your business will not be profitable from the get go and maybe not for very many years. So if you can tell that story long enough, then whoever is, if it's yourself, you're telling yourself that story, which is also important. But if you have financial backers mm. telling that story to them and having them believe it is important. Mm. Yeah, it's so true. That's a skill set that I feel like I'm always trying to refine too, is that concise storytelling and yeah. really making it, you know, a, a part of your marketing is to constantly be sharing it so that people, when they enter into your community or they become a customer, they can really feel that connection Absolutely. to the startup roots, right? Yeah, and, it, so. and it builds that trust, right? If somebody hears this podcast and knows that I made and continue to make this bread that is eaten every day by my mom and my wife and friends and yeah. friends, kids, then they can buy this product knowing that, okay, we're a startup bakery. Maybe there's going to be the odd loaf that goes out that is another perfect shape, or we'll have the odd loaf that goes out where a couple slices stick together. And we're going to get better with that over time. But the ingredients and the product itself will always be healthy for you. We're not going to start swapping mm -hmm. out ingredients for things that are more cost efficient. Um, and there is a lot of pressure to do that because that makes it easier to ship across the country. Maybe it doesn't have to be frozen yeah. as long. Um, you know, so all these things that come into it, we're not going to compromise on that. We're just going to work through these difficulties. And I think the, every customer eventually will appreciate that. Some already do. And some that hear about it will, will eat it and appreciate it. Absolutely. Uh, final question. Is there a Canadian entrepreneur or brand that you really admire or look up to? There's yeah, there's lots. Some of them are running uh, private businesses that many people um, wouldn't have heard about. Some of them are running very public businesses where they've been able to uh, take it on, I, you know, some that I don't know, Personally, like I think what um, Tobias has been able to do with uh, Shopify has been fantastic. Yeah. And there's a lot of Canadian unicorns, but um, on a, from a smaller perspective, there's a lot of our peer group in this sort of newer age food group, uh, you know, newer age sort of healthier types of food that are trying to upend it, who are doing very, very well, um, you know, flourish midday squares. Uh, some of these companies are doing great things to try to tackle and bring people better products to market and are, are doing it within their own personality. So finding their ways yeah. to get that to market. Um, but obviously very inspired by my parents and, uh, and my grandparents who, you know, have, have came from nothing and were able to build up and watching that firsthand has helped me feel very entrepreneurial, but there are, mm -hmm. you know, it's not just one, I'd say there's a, there's a ton of them, right. From, from my dad and yeah. my mom to close friends who are doing things to people I don't know. Right. It's, mm -hmm. it's one of those things where everybody is willing to share in a story and, be supportive of somebody who's willing to take those risks. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and if you know somebody that's doing it, help them along because, you know, they don't forget your help. We certainly don't. And I'm always willing to help anybody that, that reaches out or has a question because who knows, you know, they could become the next XYZ company, you know, the next yeah. huge, huge business. And you may have helped and played your part in that. That is awesome. And it sounds like you do have a lot of kind of mentors, whether you know them or not, who are, um, you know, inspiring you to show up in a big way for Queen Street Bakery. And actually, it's funny you mentioned Midday Squares because we just got confirmation that they are going to be coming on the podcast oh, as great, well. So, great. yeah, so I'm very excited to um, confirm that like they are an awesome company. I already knew that, but to hear oh, yeah. from you is great as well. They're a lot of fun. So, we've, we've met yeah. uh, we've met the whole team there a couple a few times. Uh, Tony interacts cool. with them quite a bit. We uh, yeah, they kind of started around the same time. Different. They go out. They're yep. doing uh, bars as you know, like midday square bar, snack bars. Yep. But uh, their personality is very much out there. You've seen them on social media mm-hmm. and stuff like that. So they yeah. they do a very good job. I'm more of a fly below the radar kind of person. Totally. Uh, and you yeah. and so you have to just stick with that. I could never do what what Jake and the team, um, everybody yeah. there, Leslie and stuff. Mm-hmm. What they do, I couldn't do. But uh, they've done it very well for themselves. So you'll have a great time with them on the podcast. It just goes to show, though, there is no one right marketing strategy. You really have to hone in on what your gifts are and what you feel confident bringing to the world. So I think that's a good reminder. Absolutely. absolutely. So Giovanni, this has been so awesome. Thank you for sharing the story of Queen Street Bakery and sharing a lot of really excellent tips and tricks for people who aspire to start a business or maybe looking for ways to promote their product. So loved hearing this and really great to sit down and chat with you. Where can people connect with you or with Queen Street Bakery? Where can they find you? Kelsey, uh, thank you so much. First of all, this has been a pleasure. I always love doing this. And we were still in COVID, so you don't have too many chances to see people. So be able to, t- to hop on and, and see and do this has been great. They can find us. We're all over Instagram at Queen Street Bakery. Uh, QueenStreetBakery.com is where you can find all about us, our products, where to find us in store. If you want to buy it online, you can get it on there. Um, and then uh, myself, I'm on Instagram. I'm not I'm not nearly as uh, as fun as most, but it's mostly pictures of my <laughs> wife and kids, but at Gio Angelucci is where you'd find me. Um, and, uh, and obviously on LinkedIn, but if anybody has questions or they ever hear this and say, Hey, I'm thinking about starting this, does it work? Hit me up. You know, my advice may be worthwhile, maybe not, but I'll, I'll give you my honest opinion. And maybe there's some great products that uh, just need a little nudge or great businesses mm-hmm. that need a little nudge from somebody says, you know what, that's, I see the void. That's going to be great. Um, so, yeah. Awesome. Well, I really, really appreciate that offer to reach out and um, thank you so much for sharing your time. So all the best to you guys. Thank you. I really appreciate it. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Visionary Life. I love bringing you these conversations on a weekly basis. So it would mean so much to me if you could help me out by rating and reviewing the show in your iTunes app. You can also support the show by taking a quick screenshot of the episode and sharing it on your Instagram stories, tagging me at Kelsey Rydell. I'll catch you in the next episode. P.S. Whenever you're ready, there's a couple of ways that I can support you. So first thing, if you're ready to make your first or next $50,000 in business, explore how the Visionary Method business coaching experience can accelerate your growth. There'll be a link in the show notes. Also, if you're feeling lost, confused, or overwhelmed when it comes to starting an online business, reach out and book a free revision call with me. I'll offer you customized recommendations on how to get unstuck so you can live a life filled with joy, happiness, and fulfillment.